You're listening to The Dietitian Cafe, brought to you by New Outra, where we discuss the world of nutrition and dietetics. My name's Harriet Smith. I'm a registered dietitian and founder of HRS Communications. In today's episode, we're delighted to be joined by Charlotte Sterling-Reed, best known to many of you as the baby and child nutritionist. Charlotte is a registered nutritionist and the owner of consultancy SR Nutrition and twice a Sunday Times bestselling author. In this episode, I'm going to chat to Charlotte about everything from the importance of toddlers developing a positive relationship with food and eating out and about with toddlers to Charlotte's work with Joe Wicks on Wean in 15. Before we dive into this episode, I'm going to hand over to Charlotte, who's going to tell us a bit more about herself. Hi there. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. I'm very excited to be here. Um, in terms of a bit more about myself, I mean, you know, lovely intro. So thank you very much for that. But yeah, I guess um, I started off working in the, this field straight. I went, uh, I did an undergraduate and a postgraduate degree. Um, and after my postgraduate, I was very, very lucky that I landed on my feet in an NHS role with an amazing nutrition and dietetic team, um, where essentially I was trained in kind of maternal, infant and child nutrition. And it was the biggest eye opener for me. And although I tried other areas of nutrition after that, so I worked with older adults and ran um, ran lifestyle programs at Age UK. I worked in Brighton and Hove um, with uh, uh, kind of weight loss clinics. Um, but I always came back to child nutrition. I love it. I feel like it's such an important area to talk about. And I feel like parents are really are a group of people who just want some support and want to be given some confidence. So that is where I focus my work. And especially since having my two children, um, you know, it's naturally kind of taken that path even more so. So, yeah, that's that's what I focus on. And I love it so much. Um, obviously, some aspects of being a freelancer and working on your own are really challenging. But I, I really love my field and I love the work that I do. And I love child nutrition. <laughs> And that passion definitely comes through. Um, really excited to have you with us, Charlotte. So before we delve into our main topics for discussion, we always ask our guests a couple of quick fire questions so that we can get to know you on a bit more of a personal level. So my first question to you is, what is your favourite season of the year and why? Summer, without a shadow of a doubt. I love the sun. I love the heat. I love the warmth. I love being outside. So summer, without a doubt. <laughs> So you're most likely struggling in this cold, snowy weather at the moment then, I imagine. Yes, I am not fond of being cold and it's very, very cold outside right now. <laughs> now, when it is a bit warmer and when you're not completely busy with your two children and working, what would a dream Saturday look like for you? Oh, so I, th I, I think a dream Saturday for me would just be you know kind of I, something that you don't get to do much when you have kids is pottering about so pottering about around the shops you know maybe a little trip to the cinema or lunch out and then coming home and and you know having a, a restful glass of wine and a, a dinner with my husband in peace which never happens and hasn't happened for like two and a half years so that's probably what a dream evening would be for me right now it might sound a bit boring but to be honest when you're a parent and you don't get to do that that's what you want <laughs> No, I can definitely relate to that as a new mum. Yeah, time is definitely not something on our hands. Um, so my final question, Charlotte, is obviously you've achieved so much in the world of nutrition and business. Who has inspired you along the way? Oh, gosh, um, so many people. I mean, one thing I would say is I joined a group called Sense Nutritionists early on in my career. And I can't tell you that the ladies, the women in that group were just so incredible for inspiring me, helping me to get off my feet with being a freelancer. So they have really, really helped. Um, also going to add to that, Jamie Oliver was always a massive hero of mine. So growing up and being at university, you know, his name came up so often and he really was quite a lot of inspiration for trying to help make change when it came to children's nutrition and then lastly I have to say Joe Wicks who I obviously was very lucky to work with he's been almost like a mentor to me and um, I love his passion his enthusiasm the way that he's there and, and kind of wants to support people how, you know whatever else goes on in his life I think yeah definitely definitely the, the group and then those two have been big big inspirations <laughs> 
Yeah, and there's some really massive names that you've worked alongside. You've, you know, achieved so much over the last few years. And um, just going back to this area of infant nutrition, I know you alluded to it in your introduction, but um, how have you come to be known as, um, you know, the baby and child nutritionist and what makes you so passionate about working in this area? Well, I think, as I say, you know, I was very lucky to work with an NHS team who were just the most supportive bunch, you know, um, Edwina Newman and Catherine Lip, like, oh, sorry, Edwina Revel, she's called now. So absolutely just a fantastic team of nutritionists who supported one another. And I learned so much. So I think it started there. Um, and I think I just really felt this this desire to help parents I could see how tough it was and when I started um you know feeding my own son I had all the knowledge and all the experience and hadn't really done much with it and I remember sharing it on social media and the response and the reaction that I got from people which was oh my gosh well why did you do that and how did you do that and where should I start it just made me think I know there's plenty of helpful information out there and I know there's lots of great recipes, but I just felt like there wasn't anything that was a really detailed, in-depth guide to how to wean your baby and how to feed older children too. So it just really, <laughs> sorry, it just really made me think like this, there's there's a real gap and we really need to try and fill it. And that's exactly what I've tried to do in my career is, you know, like I said, there's lots of information out there, but I feel like sometimes it's the nitty gritty that parents are still left with questions. So they might see the guidelines, they might see the advice, but actually how that works out in, in the in real life situation is what parents are still going, okay, help me put it into place. And that is what I've really tried to do throughout my career. And obviously, you know, you mentioned my book, How to wean your baby that was exactly what that was for you know the parents that came to me saying where do I start it was to try and provide that so I started in it I always went back to child nutrition I you know did it with my own children and I just realized people need support here and I guess that's yeah that's where it's all come from yeah definitely and as I mentioned earlier um as a new mum the idea of weaning my baby in a couple of months time actually fills me with dread even though I'm a dietitian um like you said you get a lot of support in those early days of the baby but Mm. then when it comes to weaning um you know even with a nutrition degree behind your belt it's really daunting um now I've been following your social media for a number of years and obviously watched you evolve to have a huge following and work with some Mm -hmm. really um really well-known people such as Joe Wicks, who you just mentioned yeah. earlier. So um, obviously the Wean and 15 book you were heavily involved with. So can you tell us a bit more about how this amazing project came about and what your role was within that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I met Joe and actually at the time I, I obviously knew of Joe, but I didn't know him. You know, he wasn't the kind of household name that he is now. Um, and I did know of him. My husband knew of him. Uh, I met him at an event that we were both doing for a brand. Um, we were working together on something and I happened to meet him and he happened to tell me that he had a daughter who was just kind of coming up for weaning and that um, he'd been talking with publishers about doing a weaning book. And it was just incredible because I said to him, well, you know, that is exactly what I do. We weren't, neither of us were doing anything to do with child nutrition that day. But I said to him, well, that is exactly what I do. And we spent, it must have been about half a day just talking, him asking me questions, me talking about weaning. And I think he probably just really saw how much I loved this field. And he asked me tons of questions. We had to, you know, we were constantly told to stop talking and we had to actually get on with doing our radio day, which is what we were doing. Um, and yeah, he just he he got in touch afterwards and he said, I'd, I'd really love your help with this. I'm going to do a book and um, I want to do uh, have a separate Instagram page. Let's let's help parents and let's spread this a bit further. And for me, as I said, you know, I was really passionate about trying to support parents and get them that nitty gritty detail and, and answers that they wanted. And this was an amazing opportunity to do it on a really wide scale. So, yeah, it was brilliant. Absolutely. And I guess that reiterates the importance and the power of networking and how that opportunity came about. Completely. And actually, to add to that, I it was interesting because it was it, the lady who had brought me on board for that project was a lady I'd worked with previously on a completely different project with a completely different brand. And she had... Um, I remembered my name and she'd remembered me and the work that I did and got back in touch with me and said, I'm doing something else for this other brand. Do you want to come and help out? And I was like, yes, of course. And then 
I mean, from there, you know, it was a real game changer for me. And I always, I'll never forget that that kind of lady brought us together. And then we had, you know, I was able to have a big impact after that. So, yeah, it's been quite a journey. (laughs) Absolutely. And we'll come on to your own book shortly. Just before we do, I want to touch on your amazing presence on social media. Um, Your tag handle is at SR underscore nutrition. We've popped it in the show notes if anyone's not already following you. Um, So talk us through what's what was your main aim and vision for setting up that social media platform? So, yeah, I, you know, like I said, the main thing was I think I, I kind of started it before I had kids and when I was um, do, running my own freelance practice. Um, I guess, you know, as a freelancer, you want to kind of showcase your work. You want to showcase your recipes and, and everything that you do. So it started off with me just being very casual. It was, you know, I would just post what I saw and what work I was doing and anything really and then like I say when I had when I was pregnant I posted a lot about pregnancy and and what I was doing and the nutrition around it and then again when I had my 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 son my firstborn son Rafi I shared his weaning journey and it was honestly then that I realized wow people want to see this and hear about it and I think it was just a really good time you know social media was quite new in terms of things like Instagram and People were only just starting to share those kind of, you know, open sides of what they're doing and why they're doing. And health and well-being were just kind of kicking into gear on on a lot of those um, platforms. So I think it was just about right time, right place. But um, and and like I say, I really, really realized then that rather than me just sharing my recipes and what I'm eating and that kind of stuff, it was much more about helping people to, you know, understand what to do when they're weaning, how to go on those journeys and and give them the confidence to do it in their own homes. And I think hopefully that's what I've been able to do in the last few years. Yeah, well, I certainly think you have. And what I love about your content is how relatable it is as well. I I can recall you posting pictures of your kids' meals when they're um, on holiday, for example, or when they're sick and not eating like they normally would. And I think that's just very reassuring for other parents to see that even Mm. as a nutritionist or a dietitian, you know, you still go through those struggles as a parent yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I think the more reality that you can share, the better. Um, And that's one thing I really do try and be is quite honest on the platform about parenting and raising kids, but also, yeah, about child nutrition. So I try and offer the support, but also that kind of realism as well, which I think sometimes isn't isn't that so easy to access for parents. Yes. And in terms of your social media, to what extent do you think it has helped with some of the opportunities that have come your way over the last few years? Um, yeah, I definitely think it, it's helped a huge amount. I mean, I think um, I definitely wouldn't be in quite the position I am in now. However, having said that, prior to me being on social media and doing a lot of social media, I was still running a successful business. And I ran my business, I called it SR Nutrition back then, rather than kind of having this Charlotte Sterling read the baby and child nutritionist title. It was SR Nutrition. I did a lot of work with brands and a lot of communication and I loved that work. And um, I really did. I, you know, I love the variety of working with different brands every day and helping with press releases or going along to buyers meetings or helping supporting them with MPD. Um, you know, so much stuff that you can do with brands, which is just always fun, I think. So I did do a lot of that anyway. I did a lot of writing, blogging and media work. And I think since social media came along, it's almost just like my career went off on a different tangent so I did less work with brands I did less work with the media and I just ended up doing much more work on social media I still do work with brands but it's often in a different way so I'll normally work with them as like a consultant and I'll do things that that also occur on social media with them so I think it it really did change. It really did take a very different tangent. And sometimes I think about, you know, I could go back to doing a lot of what I did before. Um, But, you know, I enjoy my work. I love the variety. And at the moment, I'm able to kind of carry on building my own brand um, on social media and and on my website and everything else. And I think that's where I'm at at the moment. And um, yeah, it works for me. (laughs) I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know if that even kind of shows kind of what I do now because it's very bizarre I find it very bizarre as well so (laughs) 
No, I think when you reflect back on uh, everything you've achieved, it's it's just incredible. And like you said, having started off as blogging and then it evolving to social media, mm-hmm. then working with big names and coming onto your two um, bestseller Sunday Times bestsellers, How to Wean Your Baby and How to Feed Your Toddler. Um, I was saying to you earlier, Charlotte, that I have the How to Feed Your Toddler book on my bookshelf ready to go when my baby gets to that <laughs> age. So talk us through how you got into writing these books, because our dietitians and nutritionists listening to this podcast um, probably are wondering how did these amazing book opportunities come along and what inspired you to cover the specific topics that you do in your books? Yeah, so um, first of all, I think, you know, I, I one of the aims in my career had been to write a book. I was really desperate to do it. I don't know why, it was just something that never really kind of left me from the very start of doing freelance work. I thought that's what I want to do. And I actually did try a few times, um, had a couple of proposals rejected or proposals to agents because generally in the publishing world, you need to try and get an agent first and then go to the publishers. Um, and so, yeah, I had a couple of rejections from agents. Um, and, and in the end, actually, one of the publishing companies came to me directly um, and said to me like they were interested in doing something and would I write a proposal for them? And at this point, I would think I was really lucky that I'd actually been doing, you know, weaning my own son, sharing it on social media. And I think I really had this idea of what do parents want what do they want to know what's missing what's not out there at the moment and so for me my first book how to wean your baby was exactly that it was a a a kind of where's the gap what aren't people saying at the moment in the current books and what do parents need answered and I want to put it all in one book and that's essentially what I said to the publishers and they were really keen on it and then, yeah, I brought out How to Wean Your Baby. And it's just, it's just, it's, yeah, it's been a, quite a whirlwind of that, to be honest, because it did a lot better than I think the publishers expected it to do. And yeah, it was really, really fantastic. But like I said, with that, it was about providing something that I really knew parents wanted, really, really knew, because that's another benefit of social media. You get instant feedback constantly. So if I put something out, someone will ask me a question. And as soon as, I, you know, years of being asked those questions, you really start to realise I I can get what parents want to see, what they want to read about. And so for me, How to Wean Your Baby was a handheld guide, a step-by-step guide through that weaning process, which I think a lot of parents wanted. Um, And then How to Feed Your Toddler was a very natural progression from that because I felt like there's a lot of support for weaning but actually when it gets to toddlerhood although there were recipe books there isn't anything out there that talks about the kind of real troubles and slightly about the psychology around children's eating so I wrote how to feed your toddler as a follow-up and to really support parents who are going through tricky eating in toddlers so yeah that was that was essentially where that one came from (laughs) Amazing. And in terms of the actual book writing process, can you talk us through sort of how that worked? For example, with the recipes, do they have to get tested by people other than yourself? Did you have a photo shoot um, when you prepared all the recipes yourself or did you have a team helping you? Like, how did it work? So with um, with the first book, it was very, very different to the second book, because as I said, you know, I don't think that the publishers really were expecting it to to do very well. And so it was kind of fairly low budget, fairly casual, you know, not we did get a, um, a photo shoot. So there was a photo shoot, but there wasn't that many of the recipes actually photographed because photo shoots are really expensive. So I think we did. I can't remember. So I think we did maybe a day and a half or something like that of photo shoots um of of all of the recipes and and got some babies involved but all of the recipes I created myself I came up with the ideas of them I tested them at home and I was testing them in lockdown and it was one of the hardest things I have ever done in my entire life I was pregnant with Ada I was waddling around the kitchen because I had PGP and I was trying to cook multiple recipes for myself and my husband and Rafi Rafi going through his worst fussy period ever and my mum was also living with us because of lockdown. So it was challenging. And, um, you know, I honestly reckon I cooked majority of those recipes about four times myself. So, you know, for, I think it was 40 or 45 recipes, cooking them four times within a, quite a short period of time was tough, tough, tough. Um, second book, I was really lucky that 
it's been pretty much the same, but I've I've kind of come up with the recipes and then I've had the support of a recipe developer who's also helped me with them. And I've, you know, I've always tested them myself. So it's really important for me to know exactly what they are. But what I do is I come up with the ideas and a recipe developer will generally help me with what that recipe should look like. And then I will cook them and make sure it works and tweak and, you know, make sure it kind of fits in with my agenda and things like that. So that's how it's been it's been done and and like I say yeah nice little photo shoot for the second book and things like that so it's all really lovely and it's all quite wonderful because you go on these shoots and you think I cannot believe how many people are in this room for me and it just seems very out of this world but um yeah it's been an amazing experience very stressful but but also amazing yeah, I can imagine you probably feel like a celebrity when the book comes out and you have your launch and <coughs> everyone's there well, for you. <laughs> well, I didn't have anything like that in lockdown because, I'm sorry for the first one, because it was all done in lockdown. Um, but the second one, we did have a launch and yeah, it was quite overwhelming. I have to say, you know, when you just really think like this, this is not, this is not me. I'm having an out of body experience here. But um, yeah, it is wonderful and it is really amazing. And I, I think with the books, they you know, they re- I genuinely do believe that there really is a purpose for them. And I really, really want them to be resources that will help parents with both these aspects, which are very, very tricky aspects of feeding children. So, yeah, that's that's ultimately the aim of them. And all of the rest of it is kind of, you know, you spend a year pretty much writing and, and sorting these books out. I would say it's probably about a year from beginning to end. Um, and then they go out into the wide world and, and you you don't really have any control over it anymore. So... Well, they've ended up being bestsellers, so you must be doing something right. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, so talking a bit more about How to Feed Your Toddler, your second book, um, for people who perhaps haven't read it yet, can you share some of the main themes or messages that you wanted to convey through that book? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that book was was um, a bit of a, it was a very different challenge because I really had to dig deep into the research. I spoke to psychologists. I had psychologists look at certain areas of the book and I had to do such a deep dive into the research around kind of toddler food, toddler feeding and fussy eating and food refusal. So a lot of what that book taps into is, you know, what are the recommendations for toddlers? But then also, you know, how do we actually put these these recommendations into place when our toddlers are going through these phases of food refusal? And what actually works? What What research is out there that shows what works when it comes to trying to get kids to eat healthier diets? And so a lot of it kind of taps into that. And there's some really key things that I focus on. So things like lack of pressure, things like mealtime routines and making those mealtimes quite engaging places to be and lots around that kind of family mealtime and the eating together. Um, You know, it sounds really simple, but actually, you know, the book really breaks it down into kind of practical solutions and and almost like do's and don'ts. And I don't ever really like to say don'ts, but kind of things that are better practice and things that are, are less effective when you're trying to get your children to eat. So it really tries to break down that research and that science and that kind of information that I give out every day into really tangible and useful advice for parents to use at home. And then, of course, there's recipes. I think there's about 60, um, I don't know, 50 recipes in that book as well. So it's kind of teamed up. And I, I really, you know, the recipes in the first book were amazing but the second lot of book I really was so proud of those recipes because I felt like we were able to create ones that were low sugar low salt but also you know really did that kind of extra they added extra nutrients they were fairly simple they were really great little toddler options but also perfect for adults too and the feedback on the recipes for those has been absolutely amazing too so I'm very proud of that (laughs) yeah I was gonna say one thing that I love about the book is how the recipes are family recipes so you Mm. don't have to be cooking separate meals for the kids separate meals for you and your partner you know just makes life so much easier which is all the more important for parents right Definitely. A real ethos of mine is to try and kind of have these family meals and then just have minor adaptations for babies or toddlers if you need to. So, yeah, really, really big point of of both the books. Now, as you know, the Dietitian Cafe is is mainly listened to by other healthcare professionals. So um, can you sort of talk us through how they might use your book, you know, How to Feed Your Toddler in the context of the people and populations that they serve? Oh, you know, I love this question because um, exactly like you said at the beginning, you know, you're a dietitian, but actually for you, it still feels quite overwhelming thinking about the idea of weaning. 
And I quite regularly have dietitians and nutritionists write to me and say, I'm so glad you wrote your book because it's been really helpful. Or even, you know, and again, this is the same. Lots of people have said to me that their health visitor recommended my book um, to them. So I think they're, you know, definitely the, the, the point in my books is, as I said, it's kind of this step by step guide. So it's not just there to give a little bit of vague information on feeding your kids and, and you know, eat, get them to eat five a day or how much carbs should they have. It's so much more about that. It's so much more about the process of and the behavior around eating and helping kids to enjoy food. So I think that anyone who's got kind of questions um, about that could benefit from it and yeah for a healthcare professional it's quite useful because a lot of it is a broken down step-by-step -step guide so for example in how to wean your baby there is a 30-day step-by-step guide to weaning so for any parent who is nervous or anxious or asking you questions it is something that you could refer to and I know there are lots of healthcare professionals do but you know also I do help for healthcare professionals it's useful it's useful for you too if you're having your own kids or even even if you just want the knowledge around it so I mean, I feel like I'm really talking about myself and blowing my own trumpet a lot, which, um, you know, is always a bit of a tough thing to do. But, you know, I wrote them for a reason and hopefully they're, they're working out for that reason. So I think they are. And also just to um, point out here as well, Charlotte gives away so much information for free as well on her social media platforms and on her blog. So, you know, cost of living crisis and things like that. If books Absolutely. aren't accessible, then you've got a lot of great information online as well, haven't you? Yeah, I do. I do try and point this out. I think a lot of people don't realise they do have a blog and that blog's been written pretty much every week for about 10 years. I mean, it does go back a long way, but there's a huge amount of material on there. I've also got loads of free fact sheets as well. So, yeah, if anybody want, you know, has questions about things like that, oh, gosh, please do go to the website because there's loads there. You can download fact sheets on things like milk recommendations for children, fussy eating, and what to do if your baby doesn't take to weaning. These are topics that I'm asked about every single day. And so I've created these free resources and free fact sheets for parents to kind of, you know, really help them with that. But yeah, again, my blog has so much information. So if a parent has a question about something like what food they should start with at weaning or when they should be moving from one to two to three meals a day, it is also all there on my blog. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Thank you for pointing that out. Great. And we've linked to that in the show notes, as I mentioned earlier. Um, so another question I have is obviously your own children feature quite heavily on your social media, on your blog, and also in your book. Um, talk us through that kind of process that you went through to kind of decide on that. And also how having your own kids has influenced your own practice as a children's nutritionist. Yeah. So um, with, you know, sharing a lot of my own kids, I, I think, you know, it's always a tough thing to kind of think about and, and to understand what to do. I'm very careful and I'm very private about the rest of my life. And I don't use social media personally anymore because I use it so much for work that I just really, you know, absolutely sick of it at the end of the day. So I don't want to go on it anymore. So very private other than that. Um, and the other thing I would say is I really genuinely feel like sharing my children and how I feed them has had a huge amount of help to lots of people. So I've been doing it for all these years because I know that people are watching and observing and learning and benefiting from seeing how I feed my children and seeing how that process all happens. So um, yeah, that that's one thing. The second thing I would say is when you said about, um, you know, has it shaped? Oh, God, without a doubt, it shaped how I give advice. Um, you know, definitely pre-children, I was a bit, a lot more black and white. So, you know, these are the recommendations. This is what you should do. You should stop doing this at this age. You should not offer these foods. Um, and then you have your own children, especially on number two. And kind of a lot of that goes out the window. So I think when you are offering advice, it does help to have children. Of course, there are lots of people who don't have children who can still you know, be, you know, absolutely brilliant at what they do. But I feel like it really helped me because it helped me to just understand the realities and the realism of it. You know, sometimes it's just not realistic to stop your baby using a bottle at 12 months of age, for example. Um, so, yeah, lo lots of kind of things I've learned, but that has been one of the biggest things. And also just to say that children are so up and down. And you can say this line, but actually until you're in the thick of it, Kids are so up and down. They are so fickle. They are all over the place and they never, they are really unpredictable. And I think living through that really helps you to realise that what parents are going through and have that kind of empathy and reassurance for them, I think, anyway. 
Absolutely. And and in terms of your own experience, I know that at the end of your um, How to Feed Your Toddler book, you've got a really great troubleshooting chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, so is that, as you just said, is that based on your own experience or kind of commonly asked questions that parents come to you with? How did you go about tackling that chapter? So when writing the books, obviously, you know, I, I'm a talker. So <laughs> as you can probably tell, so the books have always had to be very heavily edited. So lots and lots stripped out of them because I write as I talk. I write loads and loads and loads and then we have to strip it all back. Um, So the troubleshooting page is really just to kind of help with that. So if there's any areas in the book that I feel have been taken out and I really like to be in there, exactly like you said, those FAQs that I get all the time and I'm thinking, what else are parents going to want to get from this book? And they go into those pages. And in all honesty, I could write 50 of those. So I have to be so limited. And I think there's, one in how to f- win your baby and there's one in how to f- um, feed your toddler. And we'd strip those back from maybe like three or four and really, you know, made them a lot smaller. So I would have loved to have done more, but you're always limited when you're writing a book with how much space you have. But yeah, exactly that. It's FAQs. And in my weaning course that I've got now, I've done the same thing. I've got a whole um, a whole video of just FAQs. What are the frequently asked questions that I get? Because some parents will just find so much benefit from seeing that. And I also address those lots on my Instagram page as well. So whenever you see me do a post, it's normally something that people have been asking me a lot about. So I think it's so important. And again, it comes back to that when I was feeding Rafi and I was getting these questions come through. It comes back to that, those really detailed questions or those nuanced questions or those kind of vague things that people just want the answer to. And that's what I try and, and deliver in my books and my blog and my and my page. Yeah. And in terms of the biggest um, kind of question or challenge that parents come to you with, with regards to feeding their toddlers, can you talk us through what that tends to be about? Um, I mean, it's a very broad one, but I would say the biggest thing that fills up my inbox with toddlers is, you know, my little one ate really well. And now all of a sudden they are 18 months, 15 months, however old, and they just will not eat the foods that I'm giving them. It's so common. It's a really, really big one. I mean, there's there's so many that I could go over, but that's that's kind of the main one. And the reason for that is there's there's so many reasons. It's very, very normal for children to hit that age group and all of a sudden appetite takes a dip. Autonomy starts to come into play. They don't want to just do what they're told. Um, you know, they, they're starting to find their own voice. Maybe their growth rate's slowing a little bit as well, so they don't need quite as much food. So there's so many reasons for it happening, but that is absolutely probably one of the main things I get asked all the time. And again, the resources that I create help to hopefully answer that question for parents. Great. And on that note, what's the biggest sort of myth or misconception that you tend to come across regarding toddlers' diets? Um, oh, gosh, that's a tough one. I mean, the, with weaning, it's much easier because one of the things, you know, that one of the biggest misconceptions was always that um, you shouldn't kind of offer finger foods and spoon at the same time. That's a huge myth or that you know, food before one is just for fun. And actually, it doesn't, you know, the nutrition and everything else doesn't really matter. Again, really factually inaccurate. Um, When it comes to toddlers, I think the, the main thing I would say, and especially through my research in the last few years on this, is that I, I think we're too quick, you know, the kind of myth is that my child's fussy almost, you know, we're too quick to label that a child is a fussy eater, when actually, it probably is just very natural variations in their appetite. They probably don't eat like their sibling or their friend down the road. They probably, you know, have had an appetite dip for a reason. So they're just eating to appetite and we think and label it as fussy eating. So I think when it comes to toddlers, that's probably the biggest, the biggest kind of not myth, but the biggest misinterpretation of what's going on perhaps. Yeah, that's interesting. And um, I want to move us on to a bit of a controversial topic at the moment. I think there was an article in the Daily Mail this week, which I think you were were quoted in yourself, about um, babies and toddlers being raised on vegan diets. Um, Obviously, we're in January at the moment. It's Veganuary. So this is very topical. So in your opinion, is it possible for parents to raise babies and toddlers to be healthy eaters and have a balanced diet whilst following a vegan diet? Yeah, I definitely think it is. I think it's not easy. 
I think it takes extra thought, planning, and definitely would recommend always speaking to a healthcare professional before you do it. Um, you know, dietitian or registered nutritionist. Um, really, really key to do that first, just to make sure that you are, you know, not um ending up restricting your toddler's diet so they're not getting all the nutrients they need. But I absolutely do believe that it is possible. I've seen it be done, you know, multiple times. And actually, sometimes there are um, healthcare professionals, dietitians and nutritionists themselves who raise their children as vegan, flexitarian, vegetarian as well. And absolutely can be done. You do just need to be careful, especially if all animal products are being cut out. You do need to be very careful. And there probably is extra supplements that a baby would need to take. But yeah, I, I, it's always a controversial one. And actually, the headline of that Daily Mail article was so controversial. And then when you actually read the post, it's like, oh, no, actually, that's very rational and very reasonable. But when you read the headline, it's it's just, you know, madness. It's really very different to what's in the actual article. But, you know, as you know, it's probably the norm. Yeah, and it's interesting. I saw that article shared on LinkedIn, I think, amongst health professionals. And I was reading some of the comments on the post and, very interesting how much kind of controversy those sorts of headlines can stir. Yeah, um, completely. And I think I, I had a brief look over it. Um, and I think from what I could see, all of the healthcare professionals within the article were pretty much saying the same thing as one another. But as I said, that is, it was completely at odds to what the headline was. And I think the headline was something like, you know, healthcare professionals say it's really damaging or worrying. And then you go down and read them all and they're all saying, well, no, actually, if you do it the right way, it's absolutely fine. So, oh, just madness, you know, poor parents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's what sells a story though, isn't it? Um, yeah. So another slightly controversial topic, um, snacking. How important are snacks in a baby or toddler's diet? So this is something, it's another thing that very much changed when I was feeding my own my own son um the advice is generally for you know toddlers do need snacks they need it because they need the extra energy and the nutrients that it provides they need multiple opportunities throughout the day to eat and i don't disagree with that the only thing i would say is that it's you know it doesn't obviously take that individuality into account and i think again working in this field and sharing what i share i always try and think about the fact that not everybody is the same not every child is the same they're all different and I found with my son, he ate very big portions. He used to eat huge portions. It's kind of, you know, lessened a bit now. But for the first two or three years of his life, his breakfast, lunch and dinner was big. And if I would offer him snacks, it would hugely impact his appetite and what he ate at mealtimes. So for him, he was always much better having his three main meals and having, you know, plenty of variety and plenty of extras added on within those meals rather than having snacks. My daughter came along. She is entirely the opposite. She eats the smallest amount at breakfast, lunch and dinner. And she absolutely needs to be topped up in between those two because otherwise she would be, she gets very, very hangry. So, you know, she is a much more kind of five or six small meals a day type of girl. So breakfast, a breakfast, a snack, a lunch, a snack, a dinner, and then maybe a little snack after that. Um, it's really difficult actually feeding my two children because they do, they are very different in that way. Um, and Rafi will love a snack if he can have it. And that's probably why his meals are a bit smaller now. But it was just such an eye opener to me that, you know, the guidance out there by the NHS is brilliant and it's up to date and it's what we need. But actually, it doesn't take context into account. And so, you know, that's one of the biggest things I learned from feeding my own kids is context really matters. Not all children are different. Guidelines are just that. They're guidelines for blanket populations. And there's a lot of individualization for what will work for children and families within that. Um, so, yes, yeah, snacking can be really, really important, can be incredibly helpful, especially for growing children. But it's not actually 100 percent necessary all the time. It's going to depend on the child. That's what I would generally say. Yeah, that's interesting. And and I think you've raised a great point that one size doesn't fit all when it comes to children and nutritional guidelines. Definitely. Um, in terms of your newest book, there's a whole chapter dedicated to eating out and about. Now, yeah. why does this cause so much stress for parents, do you think? Um, the eating out and about thing, I think, is because parents have lots of questions about things like 
you know, what kind of food should we be choosing? You know, are pouches banned? Should we not give children pouches? Um, toddler foods, are they healthy for kids or not? But also like eating out at restaurants, what's the deal? Is the kids menu doesn't look great to me, but actually do I have to choose off the kids menu? And things like label rate reading, which can be a bit of a minefield for us as healthcare professionals and dietitians and nutritionists. So, you know, for parents who are time poor, who are exhausted, who are dealing with kind of, you know, toddlers having tantrums in the middle of a supermarket, you know, they really need some help with navigating things like that. And even things like taking food out and about, what's safe to take, how to offer it, what are good ideas for taking out and about. So that whole section was just trying to help parents to basically and also you know this was also created kind of coming out of um lockdown as well so um we come out of lockdown lots of parents going i really want to take my children out but what do i do about food and i also think i'm um, i mean you know harriet you'll probably get there but once you're on three meals a day it just feels very overwhelming you feel like all you're doing is getting your child to sleep and eat and then play and then it's sleep and eat and play again and it just feels quite overwhelming so this was just trying to, I guess, help parents feel a little bit more confident with taking their toddler out of the house and feeding them, whether that be from a supermarket, a restaurant or a lunchbox that they've prepared. And if you had to give one top tip or takeaway message from that chapter, what would it be? It would probably be don't sweat it too much. If they're eating out, it's probably not going to be every day. So don't worry if you've taken them for a picnic and they haven't eaten anything because they're running around playing. Don't worry if you've taken them to a restaurant and they turned their nose up at the meal and didn't want it. And don't worry if you've tried them on a new food that you've just bought from a supermarket and they're not eating it. The main message I would say is do not worry. It's about what they eat the majority of the time, not within one meal on one day and one occasion. Interesting. And let's talk about now when kids go to nursery and perhaps as a parent, you have less control over what they're eating <laughs> because someone else is in control of, of their diet. Um, so in fact, I've been looking at nurseries recently and been really impressed with some of the menus. They've often got in-house chefs, um, but are all nurseries um, as good as one another in terms of the nutrition that they provide? And are there certain guidelines that nurseries have to follow in the UK? Good question. So no and no. Um, there is a lot of inconsistency of, of, of what nurseries offer throughout the UK. Really inconsistent. And to be honest with you, it d generally tends to be dependent on kind of who's running it or if they've got a catering company in, you know, who, who they are and if they've had, you know, support from a nutritionist or dietitian. So it's so variable. It really is. And some are going to be doing brilliantly and have really great menus that have been analysed by nutritionists, really balanced. Um, there are guidelines out there. There used to be guidelines which are from the School Food Trust. Then it was the Children Food Trust. And then it went to... Um, I've forgotten what the third one was called. But now basically the government hosts the kind of recommendations. But it's actually quite hard to find. Every time I go and try and find the kind of government recommendations for early years um, settings, I really struggle. They have menu plans and examples and they have kind of standards to try and stick by. But it is it's really it's not an easy thing to find them. So a lot of nurseries wouldn't bother and a lot of nurseries probably don't even know they exist. And also nobody's checking up on that. So even if they were doing it, there's absolutely no one who's going into nurseries and saying, what are your menus looking like? Are you meeting the government standards? Because you know, it just doesn't happen. So really it's down to the individual nursery to care and put that effort in. And the same with parents. You know, I always say to parents, you know, the more that you check and ask your nursery and, and show that you care about food and what's on offer, the more they might pay attention. Um, and, you know, I, I ended up choosing... I did want to send Rafi into one nursery, but I ended up choosing against it because it was, you know, they had like sticky toffee pudding on the the recipe a couple of times a week and he was about 10 months of age. Um, and, you know, even though there's nothing wrong with sticky toffee pudding, I love it. Probably not ideal for my 10-month-old. So, um, yeah, it's it, you, you really do have to be very careful. But I think the more that we can try and communicate with nurseries and make it heard. And, you know, I, I really would love to do something around this a lot more. So... If there's anyone out there who wants to work in this field, then get in touch because I've got lots of ideas and plans, but just not enough time right now. <laughs> I see. That's going to be your next book then or project. <laughs> oh, I'd love to work on a project with that. I really, really would because I think there's so much that 
could be done and and needs to be done really but yeah as I said just don't have time at the moment (laughs) now talking of time as we're coming towards the end of the episode I just want to ask you why is it so important that toddlers develop a positive relationship with food and what would be your top tip for helping to foster that positivity with food at a young age I think that you know food food is just so important um, you know, food is a massive part of our lives. We eat because we have to eat to survive, but we also eat for joy and pleasure. And, you know, for me, I'm always thinking, oh, what's the next meal? You know, get excited about what food is coming. And I just think it's a real shame that we, you know, if if children aren't able to kind of follow in those footsteps. And also, I think there's lots of labels put onto food. So something's good and bad. And, you know, we've seen kind of diet culture and what it's done to, I guess, our generation. You know, you're probably a lot younger than me, but like the generation that we both grew up in is so much diet culture and so much of this kind of negativity towards food. And I think it's such a shame. So for me, it's about raising children who can interpret themselves what you know what a balanced diet should be that they've been raised to kind of enjoy all foods and not just the foods that kind of manufacturers are, have produced so that they enjoy them more um that they understand what balance is just naturally without even having to think about it because that's what they've been given and just basically that they don't have any kind of fears around food or you know feel like they should diet or skip certain food groups or you know Basically, it's about just trying to create children who just enjoy food and and know how to sort themselves out by by you know, following a balanced diet. Um, so that was the first part of your question. I've forgotten what the second part was. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I was just saying, do you have a top tip for parents in terms of helping to develop that um, positive relationship with food with their kids? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I if I can say top two, the first would be a do as I do approach. So, you know, rather than the kind of, right, I want you to eat healthily, but I'm not going to eat with you. I'm going to eat separately and I'll eat later. And maybe it won't be as healthy as what I'm giving you because I want you to eat the good stuff. They will pick up on that. You know, they will pick up on that because you are the role model to them. They want to do what you do. So a do as I do approach basically means trying to you know, allow them to follow in your footsteps by showcasing what a balance means, showcasing how to have a relation, a healthy relationship with food, how to enjoy food, but also, yeah, how to eat, eat a balanced kind of diet and eat together. So that's number one. And number two is really to try and take the pressure off it all. And I know, you know, we've just spoken for almost an hour about food and about feeding toddlers. So it's almost kind of counterintuitive to say to take the pressure off. But actually, food doesn't need to be anxiety inducing and you know um and scary and you know black and white and I think just taking the pressure off those meals and taking the pressure off your little one having to eat up what you've offered um makes a big difference so you know that those would be the two kind of key pointers I would try and encourage parents to take away sorry I never can say things concisely and I never can stick with one point so sorry about that (laughs) no I'm certainly learning a lot from this episode as we go along it's it's really interesting um can you tell us what was the most fascinating fact or something that you learned through the process of writing your most recent book? Um, I think when I was writing it, I I obviously had my kind of topics that I would talk about. Um, but I think, and I know I'm kind of coming back and saying the same thing, but I think the biggest thing that really stood out for me was this concept of pressure. Um, and although it's, you know, it's talked about quite a lot now um, in terms of, you know, meals and children, I just don't think I really understood quite the concept of pressure and what that pressure at meal times might look like because it's going to be different for every child. So for one child, it might be, right, well, if you eat that, you'll get a sticker. For one child, it might be you need to finish half your plate. And even just this idea of, you know, parents pressure kids by saying, oh, just have one more spoonful. But actually, what is the benefit of that one spoonful nutritionally? Not much, but psychologically, actually, the, that can have quite a lot of negative impact. Forcing children and pressuring them to eat is going to have the opposite effect. And research shows this over and over again. So I think that was, you know, that kind of idea about this one spoonful and, you know, how many of our parents will have said it to us, just have one more spoonful. But actually, why? What is the benefit of that one extra spoonful? Absolutely nothing, but actually can have quite a negative impact. So that was one of the biggest eye openers for me from doing a lot of the research and finding out about it, I think. 
that's really interesting and definitely goes against, like you said, what a lot of us probably grew up with, with our own parents and carers. Um, and yes, exactly. <laughs> I just have to ask you, if a child hasn't eaten their, you know, much of their main meal, would you then recommend offering a pudding? Because obviously you've just talked about not pressuring children and things. How how do you do that in your own house? So I'm a bit of a big fan of having kind of everything served at once. Um, I know it's a bit of a different concept to how we grew up with the kind of food and then pudding. And I mean, I grew up in a household where we didn't have pudding every day. We only had it every now and then. Um, And we kind of do that same concept in our house. If there's anything sweet, if there's fruit, if there's yogurt, if there's... um, um, you know, if, if my son's brought a cake home from school, for example, we tend to just lay it all out together and he can tap into whatever he likes. I think if families are really adamant that they do want to have a pudding and that's fine, you know, absolutely can do it that way. Um, I would definitely say not to restrict the pudding if the meal isn't eaten, because all you're doing is suggesting to your child that the meal isn't as good. The pudding's better. You know, you're almost like punished for not eating this by having the good stuff taken away. And actually that just increases that hierarchy of thinking the dinner's less good and the pudding is even better. And you're just going to increase the desire of them wanting that pudding. So for me, it's about not putting foods on a on a hierarchy or pedestal, serving them all together. They're not pudding. They're not, you know, they're not treats. They're not, you know, it's just food and having it kind of all out together. And and my kids have both kind of grown up with that. And um, my son, definitely, he he's really good with it. He'll like eat a head of broccoli and then lick the icing off a cake and then go back to some beans, which I know sounds so bizarre, but he's so good at eating intuitively and just following his own appetite as to what he wants. So yeah, I watch him in fascination. He's absolutely brilliant with it. <laughs> I think that's so interesting and and definitely probably challenges a lot of our own mindsets, even as healthcare mm. professionals. Um, final question to wrap up the episode. What do you think is next for you, Charlotte, in terms of your business, your profession? What What's next on the horizon? Oh, goodness. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I've got so many plans. My head is constantly buzzing with them. And because my daughter doesn't sleep, I'm constantly awake at night thinking, oh, oh, I could do this. I could do this. I could do this. Um, loads of things. I mean, I've already mentioned I'd love to work with nurseries and and try and help get that in order a little bit. But I think it's um quite a big challenge and quite a big task to take on. Um, I'd also like to work and support kind of families of older children as well. So hopefully my and be able to do something in that area soon um but you know I guess as well just more of the same like I want to be able to carry on supporting parents in this field offering advice offering support um and obviously I've got my my books out which cover these two topics now and I'm super proud of them so hopefully just kind of continue with what I'm doing I think um but yeah lots and lots of plans in the pipeline but um yeah there's never enough time that's what I would say especially as a freelancer I feel like it's really hard being a freelancer and trying to have lots of ideas because yeah it's just you (laughs) yeah it's really tough but I think you know it's a case of watch your space and I'm sure in the future we're going to see you bringing out books on um raising healthy teenagers sending your kids off to university (laughs) etc so I'm sure there's lots more to come Um, thank you so much Charlotte for joining us today it's been really great chatting with you really really thank you Harriet thank you so much for having me on I really appreciate it thank you and thank you to our listeners for joining us as well and a huge thank you to New Outra for making this podcast possible if you enjoy listening to the Dietitian Cafe please consider subscribing and leaving a review or five-star rating so that we can reach even more health professionals you can follow New Outra on social media at New Outra across all platforms to keep up to date with the podcast and to hear the latest updates on medical nutrition thanks for joining us and our next episode will be out soon 